We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Coming at you Monday evening. It's January 16th after the Wolves lost an afternoon MLK Day game against the Utah Jazz. We're going to get to that game, of course, but uh, this episode is going to have a little bit different of a flow to it. Just kinda, given that we're doing this in the afternoon after an afternoon game on, on a Monday. So we're going to start with me solo here, and then later on in the episode, I'll bring in Harrison Wind, who covers the Denver Nuggets for DNVR Sports, where Harrison and I will preview uh, Wednesday's matchup against the Nuggets. Let's kind of talk a little bit about the history of the, the Wolves-Nuggets matchup, and also wanted to ask Harrison about the kind of Anthony Edwards versus Aaron Gordon for an all-star spot proposition. So we'll dig into all that. That's That's at the end of the episode. But I wanted to start this one uh, by talking about something I've been meaning to get to with the trade deadline coming upon us. And it's it's about three weeks away from the trade deadline. I want to kind of start trade season by setting the scene for the Wolves, right? I'm not going to be doing fake trades, but I want to kind of lay out the landscape a little bit of, of what trade season might look like for this team, specifically as that might or might not connect to D'Angelo Russell. I mean, Russell, like Nas Reed and Jalen Noel, are on expiring contracts, which naturally is going to lead their names to show up on the trade rumor mill, just like it did with Patrick Beverly last season and happens with a bunch of players on expiring contracts every year. But Russell's expiring contract, it's it's a different proposition than Beverly's last year, and it's certainly different than Nas or Jalen's, and that's different because... Nas and Jalen, you know, they're making about the minimum. They're making $1.9 million while Russell is making $31.4 million this year. And D'Lo being in the final year of his max contract at that number presents a very different financial proposition for the Wolves that not only impacts the immediate, but really could impact the long-term spending power of this team. There is a different value in that D'Lo salary than there is of other players on this team. You often hear us on here refer to it as, quote unquote, the D'Lo salary slot. So I thought it would be worth digging into what exactly that means, what the value of that slot is. And also, given the context of the other contracts the Wolves have or 
we'll have coming on the books here in the coming years, where the value of that salary slot could potentially be overrated. I'll start by saying this, like actually paying the money aside, like not my money, paying the money aside, you know, it is really valuable from a team building perspective to even have the opportunity to pay five guys at or near the max. You know, it's the it's the Golden State Warriors situation, right? With Steph, one, Clay, two, Draymond, three, Wiggins, four, and Jordan Poole, five. That's five max or near max players, which for Golden State has just recently become like a situation after having been, for them, a real weapon for the better part of their dynasty here in, in recent years. And the Wolves have the opportunity to be able to spend Warriors level big as well, given that they already have three max contracts on the books and D'Lo Cat and Rudy Gobert with Anthony Edwards also coming up on an extension and Jaden McDaniels set to sign a big time extension this summer as well as Ant. The only way you can pay that many players that much money is by re-signing your own players once their deals expire. You can spend over the salary cap to retain your own players. You know, that's the loophole in the NBA salary cap. That's how a team like the Warriors spends so much more than, you know, a, a middling team who is just right at the cap. If you're already over the cap, you cannot sign players from other teams that are at that type of D low price tag. Again, with the Warriors as an example, that's why they traded for D'Angelo Russell in the first place. You know, they knew Kevin Durant was leaving Golden State, so they convinced Brooklyn, where KD was going to go, to do a sign-and-trade of D'Lo for Durant so as to literally be able to salvage that Durant salary slot. They wanted to keep back what was back then the fourth max salary slot for that team. They already had Steph. They already had Clay, They already had Draymond. And then they were going to lose KD. So they just wanted to flip that to have a another $30 million contract, you know, and with the opportunity that, you know, maybe D'Lo does fit in with them. But really, as Bob Myers talked about last year in the finals, like that was key to them was, was keeping that salary slot. But that salary slot obviously was D'Lo was flipped for Andrew Wiggins, who then he became their fourth max guy. And then after that, this summer, Jordan Poole signed an extension, making it five salary slots on the Warriors that were at the max or near it. Poole was kind of like the Wolves equivalent of Jaden McDaniels in this parallel. So that's rare, the Gold State situation. And the Wolves could also have the same five max or near max salary slots if they re-sign D'Lo this summer. Or they can keep D'Lo's salary slot by trading D'Lo for another player in the $30 million range. You know, I think the, the main example a lot of people are using right now that would fit this salvaging the slot idea is the D'Lo for Kyle, Kyle Lowry fake trade that has been floating around there. And that's not only because Lowry makes a similar amount of money to D'Lo, but because Lowry is also on the books for $29 million next season. You know, much, much like just re-signing D'Lo, trading him for Lowry would salvage the slot because it at least kicks the can down the road for a year. But just on the basis of maintaining talent on the roster and or you know, having the ability to, to use the salary slot on acquiring a different high-priced talent, like keeping the salary kind of seems like a no-brainer, right? 
But with the context of the rest of the Wolves' salary cap situation, it's it's not as obvious as it might have been for the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors, who you know are really rich, justifying just about any luxury tax payment that isn't astronomical. Just quick aside: if this hasn't already been too salary cap nerdy for you, just a heads up: it's going to get worse. So skip ahead if you're just looking for a game recap. But I do think it's important to kind of at least lay this all out there in detail one time here. So let's get into the context of the Wolves books as it relates to the D'Lo salary slot. We'll start here. This season, 2022-23, the Wolves are $23 million over the cap already, which puts them just $3 million beneath the luxury tax line. And the context here is that those numbers, $23 million over the cap, does not factor in Cat Supermax max extension. It does not factor in Ant's max extension that is obviously coming this summer, nor do those numbers consider a major, major raise coming for Jade McDaniels. And Cat's four-year $258 million Supermax extension doesn't kick in until 2024-25. That's not next year. That's two years from now. Cat's salary will jump from $36 million in 23-24 to $50 million in 24-25. And in 2024-25 will also be when Ant's five-year $204 million max extension kicks in for him. Or it could be a five-year $245 million max extension if Ant makes All-NBA next season, which we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But either way, it means Ant will be making $35 million in 2024-25 or $42 million in 2024-25. That will be a $22 million or $29 million raise off of Ant's 2023-24 salary of $13 million. Jaden McDaniel's extension will also be kicking in in that 2024-25 season. Now, Jaden's not going to get the max, I don't think, but his salary will spike about by the same amount that Ant's will, and that's because Jaden is currently only making $2.2 million next season, 2023-24. Jaden is set to make about $4 million. So if McDaniels signs a four-year, $100 million extension, about 25 a year, then he is also looking at a raise before the 24-25 season by about $20 million. So conservatively, Cat is jumping up by $14 million in 24-25. Ant is jumping up by $22 million. And Jaden is jumping up by about $20 million. Again, remember, that's all on a team that is already $23 million over the cap and $3 million below the luxury tax. Just between Towns, Gobert, Edwards, and McDaniels, the Wolves will be paying those four players $150 million in 2024-25. The salary cap for that season is projected to be $140 million. So $10 million over the cap and only about $20 million below the $170 million luxury tax line just to four players in 2024-25. Notice I haven't mentioned the D'Lo salary slot in that equation because where the hell are we putting that? I mean, even if D'Lo signed an extension for only $20 million a year, you're already over the luxury tax line just devoted to those five players. This is the reason the luxury tax exists in the NBA. If you want to pay that much money to five players, you're going to basically be paying another max salary slot worth of luxury tax just to the league. You just got to write that check. Yes, there is nothing stopping an owner from paying that tax. Warriors are doing it, did it last year. Warriors are doing it this year. But there's nothing stopping you outside of fiscal responsibility 
which is a pretty big factor. I mean, as great as it would be to have the talent of five players making near the max, the tax is just about as painful as great as that would be. And I'm not even going to get into the fact that the Wolves' new ownership are buying this team on a payment plan that, let's just say, doesn't exactly inspire confidence in the idea that they're able to pay the luxury tax anytime soon. But all that said, 2024-25 is a long ways away. Adilo's salary expires at the end of this season, 2022-23, which is a year before Cat's contract spikes to supermax levels and a year before Ant and Jaden get 20 plus million dollar raises, which is all to say it would be kind of nice to have that salary slot for next season. In a vacuum, I mean, having D'Lo or a player in his salary slot next season is a real value that season. I guess if you let D'Lo walk in unrestricted free agency, you can dodge a chunk of that tax burden down the road, but you also can't just go out and spend another $30 million on another player because you've lost the salary slot. You don't have cap space. If that contract expires, so does the salary slot. If you don't salvage the salary, you got around $11 million you can spend on a new player with cap space next summer. If you do salvage the salary slot by re-signing him, D'Lo, or trading him for someone under contract, your spending power is about the same. Through another weird cap loophole, the the mid-level exception. The Wolves have the mid-level salary cap exception to spend up to $11.4 million on a free agent next summer, even if they don't have cap space. Mid-level, that's what they, they did the same thing this summer. That's what they, they used the mid-level on Kyle Anderson. So that's the D-Lo salary slot proposition. And I'm not going to say there isn't logic to either path. But personally, I do think you really do need to place value on the sal- salary slot within reason. Like, yes, those tax payments would be insane down the line. I'm not saying you have to commit to those. But I think you got to factor in a few things here, right? One, this team's all in, right? Like, yeah, if you if you weren't trying to be a contender in the immediate future, then hell no to even considering that tax payment. But this is a team that is very all in, given not only how much they're already paying, but of course, and how many picks they gave up to acquire Gobert. This is a, that was a win now. That was a be a contender in the next couple of years move. Or is that going to go away? Two, the salary cap is going to spike a bit here in the coming years once the new television deal kicks in. You remember that cap spike in 2016 when they signed the current TV deal? That new TV deal in 2016 created enough salary spike that the Warriors, again, out of nowhere, were able to sign Kevin Durant in the first place. A similar spike is coming, even if it is more of a smoothing of the cap, a smooth raise of the cap rather than a one-year spike like it was in 2016. But that jump in the cap and you know, subsequently the luxury tax will create a little more breathing room in or around the tax once the Wolves roster starts getting really expensive. That's coming. And then three, once the team gets insanely expensive in a couple of years, you could, in theory, trade one of your max players to a team that has salary cap space to absorb that contract. When that time comes, the Wolves could, again, in theory, trade cat to a team like say Houston or Oklahoma City who will have a bunch of cap space and a bunch of picks you know maybe by 2024 they're ready to add a star if those teams have cap space you wouldn't have to take money back because it because cat's contract could just be absorbed into that cap space cat or someone else again it wouldn't have to be cat could be any of their 
four big salaries at that time. But let's just say it's cat. Could you trade cats 50 million plus a year into Houston's cap space and bring back two or three first from Houston? Maybe. I mean, it's an option to try and liquidate one of the big contracts into draft capital. And as much as it would hurt to lose one of those players, cat particularly, a few years from now, it would give them the financial flexibility that they'll be craving, you know, with or without D'Lo or D'Lo's equivalent on the books. Not to mention, you'd then have picks again. <laughs> you could use those picks in the draft, or you could use those picks in, more importantly, probably in trades over the next five years to, you know, build a team around Ant. They don't have that op option right now. So if that option does present itself in a few years, the Wolves, the, the option to, you know, trade Cat or another Rudy or say Cat or Rudy, then if that presents itself and it, it seems appealing in that context, then the Wolves would likely be kicking themselves for not re-signing D'Angelo Russell or for not having salvaged that salary slot through a trade. I mean, that's just the, that's, that's it. That's the context of the Wolves books. I, I don't know what the answer is, but we know that's the context or we know we can reasonably estimate it. The context we don't know, though, that factors in here, that doesn't that makes it unclear exactly what the Wolves should or should not do is that one, what would D'Lo re-sign for here? You know, so as to not only salvage a player, but salvage a salary slot. We don't know that. Two, we also don't know what you could trade D'Lo for. That Trading him for a player that would salvage the salary slot in a different way. The options likely won't be great, given the $31 million cap hit for whoever were to theoretically take D'Lo on. So it's hard to say, but those are the things we don't know. We know the context of the Wolves books. We don't know what is behind the D'Lo salary slot from a more literal perspective of who that player would be. I mean, yes, we could play fake trade machine all day long with different names and different options, but we don't know D'Lo's market. That's, that's a pretty important factor in this game. I'm just saying this is the context when you do play fake trade machine. You know, money is real context. The tax is real context. And that is definitely the context the Wolves front office and ownership is looking at as they approach the deadline. All while, you know, trying to salvage this season as well, not just the salary slot. All right, let's uh, take a quick break here, and then I'll come back and play you some audio clips from the locker room after the Wolves lost to the Jazz. We'll get into the final minutes of that game, what went down, and also touch on the impact of former Wolf Walker Kessler. Can we call Walker Kessler a former Wolf? I, I don't know. But we'll talk about the 20 points and 21 rebounds Kessler stacked up against the team who drafted him after the break here. Today's show is sponsored by The Genesis Company. The Genesis Company is one of the world's most successful firms at scaling brands across direct to consumer and retail channels. Their consultants have helped over 300 brands generate more than $3 billion in retail sales thanks to their marketing team's next-gen technologies to influence consumers. Currently, their sales team manages over 100 brands found online and on retail shelves around the world. On average, after working with the Genesis company, clients increase the valuation of their firm by a factor of three. So whether you want to build your brand or eventually sell your firm, they're undefeated and the best of the best. Because they are Minnesota-based and fans of this podcast, they're offering free access to their proprietary AI that lets any founder know if their brand is meeting its potential. In a few hours, you'll know how big your brand is supposed to be. Email them at grow at 
sign thegenesiscompany.com to get your free access and find out if your brand can be the next big thing. That's grow at thegenesiscompany.com. Today's show is sponsored by Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul, and I love having local businesses on as sponsors like the breweries and like Hyacinth because they are places I can really picture you going to and enjoying. Hyacinth is a place that I personally have really come to love. I'm not at all a foodie, so at first I was kind of worried about working with an award-winning Italian restaurant. Then I went there, and the vibe was homey, not at all pretentious. I felt comfortable And the food comes out. The food is amazing there. Obviously, high-level Italian cuisine, but also diverse in the options you can choose from. So Hyacinth, that's spelled H-Y-A-C-I-N-T-H, has genuinely become one of my favorite restaurants and a place I actually frequent in my personal life. I said before, we went there for my mom's birthday in December, and we also went as a family a few days after Christmas. I mean, you're going to go to restaurants in 2023. So if you do live in the cities, I really would highly recommend checking out Hyacinth. Support a local business and support a business that is specifically tied to our little Wolves community we have here. That's Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul on Grand Avenue. All right, moving on to the Wolves' one-point loss to the Jazz on Wednesday afternoon. Let's talk about this game by starting at the end of it. Uh, If you weren't watching live, I'm sure you've seen the replay. Wolves were down by one with 3.9 seconds to go. Finch drew up an out-of-bounds play after a timeout. He rolled out shooters around Kyle Anderson, who was inbounding the ball. It was Torin Prince, Jane McDaniels, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards. Prince and McDaniels were spaced to the corner so as to keep Walker Kessler away from the rim. Malik Beasley was on Prince in the left corner. Kessler was on McDaniels in the right corner. While Mike Conley is on Russell and Oshai Agbaji is on Anthony Edwards. Delo starts the playoff by setting a pin down screen on Agbaji for Edwards. Delo was clearly told to just basically box out Agbaji so he could not stick with Ant, which Delo did. Finch wanted the Ant isolation on Conley. They got it. And then Ant catches it, drives to his right, which is towards the corner that McDaniels is in, which makes Ant's read Walker Kessler. How far does Kessler decide to come off of McDaniels? Well, Kessler bit hard. On the Ant drives, he was all the way into the lane. So Ant kicks it to the wide open McDaniels in the right corner, fires it from the corner before time expires, and it hits front rim. Here's Ant uh, when asked about that decision to kick it to Ant, or to kick it to Jaden when he was asked about it after the game. Final play, what you saw and like how you kind of went about it. Um, Finchie drew up a great play. for me to catch it and uh, have space, I had space. I was, uh, I beat him going right, and I saw Jaden wide open in the corner. He shoots though; he makes those shots. I see him work on them all day in practice. And if I had another chance to throw it to him, I throw it to him again. When he when he doesn't make something like that, I mean, are you picking him up right after the game and just like, yeah, yeah for sure? I went over and told him like, bro, the next time if they do the same thing, I'm throwing it again. So, you know, he he'll be ready next time. He'll make the next one. So like Ant did there, all the other players we asked about the play after the game said they love the look, specifically citing how McDaniels has you know, been kind of money from the corners this season, which is true. Jaden has made 39% of his corner threes this season, and, and that, was a, that was a wide open one. When we walked into the locker room after the game, Austin Rivers was showing the play to Ant on his phone, kind of assuring him that making the pass was the right play. He, he told Ant, you know, you run that again. That more than likely goes in, which, you know, for a wide open corner three for a 40% three-point shooter, like, yeah, that probably is about a 50% proposition for McDaniels. Uh, 
Ant's response to, to Rivers was a, a very Ant response where he said you know, he just kind of felt bad that Jaden that Jaden now has to live with having missed that shot. It was like, you know, if I miss the shot, then none of my teammates are feeling bad, which was again a very Ant. But you know, it, it was the right play, and no, it it didn't go in. But I agree with Finch when he said after the game that Jaden missing that shot was not the story of this game. Here's Finch after the game. When it came to that final play, what did you see? Is that kind of how you drew it up, the final um, minute? Yeah, we, we wanted to get Ant the ball in the middle of the floor, and he made the right play, and we missed a wide-open shot. I mean, that's that wasn't the story of the game. The story of the game was uh, on offense, our inability to finish around the paint. I think we were, uh, let's see here, uh, you know, 38 for 52 in the paint. That's a lot of misses in the paint. And not all of them were because, of, you know, great defense. We missed a lot of easy ones in there. The defensively, um, you know, got loose with ball contained. You know, we couldn't keep the ball in front of us. I would, for the most part, uh, you know, agree with Finch there. Definitely that game was not determined by the last play. And I do agree the on-ball defense took a step back from where it's been the last few games. I don't know. Maybe that's an afternoon start time. It just wasn't there the same way that it was. But to the missing shots in the paint point, I, I, I do think maybe more of that was about the defense than Finch gave it credit for there in the moment right after the game. You know, Walker Kessler definitely gave the Wolves problems at the rim all night. It wasn't just Kessler making shots around the rim for the Wolves more difficult, but he had some of that like Gobert rim deterrence where guys just weren't even taking shots in the paint at times when Kessler was there. I mean, Kessler obviously having a great game, maybe his best of the season is is definitely some salt in the wound for Wolves fans who have been, you know, bemoaning the Go Gobert trade for a while now, especially in a game when Gobert had to come out 5 minutes into it with that groin soreness. Kessler did finish with 20 points, 20 run rebounds to go along with some actually some really nice passing, generated four assists. I mean, Kessler was big in this one, no doubt. Nas Reed had uh some high praise for Kessler's game uh, in the locker room after this one. Here's Nas. Kind of battling Kessler down there. Uh, what, what kind of a player was he to, to tangle with down there today? He's a pretty good player. I mean, he's big upside. I mean, big upside. You get up, get those rebounds, uh, blocking shots. Uh, he's very poised in the pocket. Uh, makes good plays at the rim. So I'll, I'll give him those props. I get it. <laughs> After this one, it's 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 hard not to picture what this team would have looked like had they not made the trade. Uh, Kessler out there, you know, splitting the center minutes with Nas for the Wolves rather than Nas splitting those center minutes with Luca Garza and Nate Knight. I mean, that's 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 different. It's also hard to not picture Jared Vanderbilt on this team on a night where the Wolves lacked not only rebounding, they gave up 15 offensive rebounds again tonight, but you know, Vanderbilt's another perimeter defender. Uh, it's hard to not picture the floor spacing Malik Beasley would provide this team, even if this was a, a poor shooting night from Beasley. You know, that's, we know he's more than that. And on a night where the, the Wolves struggled to defend on the perimeter, it's hard to not picture what value Patrick Beverly would have brought, who, you know, he was also went out in that trade to Utah. You know, I get it. It's, it's, it's natural to be frustrated about, and that's without even considering any of the future draft picks sent out to Utah as well. But it, it is the reality of the situation. The Wolves do not have those players, and those players have already beat them twice at Target Center just this season. Just 
It just kind of is what it is. But, you know, to pull my head out of the gutter of that and to just think about this one game in a vacuum, and my head goes to losing a game they should have won. I think they should have won that one. Losing to a team close to them in the standings without that team having Laurie Markkinen, their best player, and this one stings in the standings a bit. It's not all the way as bad as the home losses to San Antonio and Oklahoma City earlier in the season, but it kind of means the same thing. you got to go make up for it against tougher opponents now. The Wolves are going to get that chance to do that next game, Wednesday night in Denver, where they play the first-place Nuggets, but also a Nuggets team that they've beaten the last four times that they've played them. Before Monday afternoon's game against Utah, I chatted with Harrison Wind, who covers the Nuggets for DNVR Sports, about this Wolves-Nuggets matchup on Wednesday. We'll get to that. And about Anthony Edwards and Aaron Gordon, again, competing for that sort of maybe final, one of the final Western Conference All-Star spots. So we'll take one more break here and then be back with Harrison to discuss Wolves-Nuggets coming up on Wednesday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, we are now joined by Harrison Wind, who covers the Denver Nuggets for DNVR Sports. Uh, Next up on the schedule for the Wolves is the Nuggets in Denver on Wednesday night. Uh, The Nuggets, who are first in the Western Conference at 30 and 13, they've won eight of their last nine games. But that one loss in the last nine games did come against the Wolves a couple weeks back. Uh, Harrison, we're obviously going to talk about that matchup here mostly, but can we talk for a second about how the Nuggets Magic game ended last night, Sunday night? Will you like explain to my listeners how the last 20 seconds of that game went down? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a, a wild, wild ending. Um, the Nuggets were up one. Jamal Murray decides to put Markel Fultz on the free throw line for Crazy. some reason. Uh, maybe he was smarter than all of us because Markel Fultz missed the first or or, or missed the first, made the second. So the score was tied. And then, you know, of course, that gave the Nuggets the perfect opportunity to just drop a game winner for Nicole Jokic. <laughs> uh, the only field goal he attempted and made in the fourth quarter uh, came with two seconds left in the game. It was did any of you guys ask Murray after okay like so it is literally Orlando is down 115 to 160 right there's like 20 seconds left and Murray intentionally fouls him with no fouls to give so he put him he put Fultz on the line which I guess is Fultz you know but you don't normally see that did did he think there was like a foul to give or was he just like no I think he's going to miss one or both of these did he say I'm not sure. I didn't talk to him. I know Michael Malone didn't think that was the plan. <laughs> he was not happy with the foul call. But there's a clip, which I tweeted out, where you can see after Markel Fultz misses the first free throw, Jamal like, Murray looks towards, yeah. he, he looks towards the Nuggets bench and bows. <laughs> like, almost, like, you're Told welcome you. for fouling him and putting him on the line. Uh, it's... It's uh, that th this is life, I guess, as the number one seed in the Western Conference. Uh, even the few times things aren't going well, they find a way to go well. I mean, that Jokic shot was insane. His little step back the way only he steps back. Uh, obviously, he's playing at an elite level. Um, we are actually recording this on a Monday morning. So, Harrison, I'm sure your head is not even on the Wolves yet. I know the, the Nuggets play Tuesday night against the Blazers, which is the front end of a back-to-back -back before the Wolves come to town to play there on Wednesday when the Wolves beat Denver a couple weeks ago. And that was also on the back end of a back-to-back -back for the Nuggets. But at the same time, like the Wolves have beaten the Nuggets four times in a row here dating back to last season. And we both know like randomness happens. Like the Wolves have lost to the Pistons twice in the past two weeks. Like it, mm -hmm. it can happen, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective for Wednesday night or just kind of like in general, maybe for a playoff appearance or playoff matchup between the two. Like, do you attribute anything to those four straight losses against the Wolves? Is there something the Wolves do, someone the Wolves have that um, makes it more difficult for them? Or do you more attribute kind of that to Ant got hot one time, back to backs, all that sort of stuff? I feel like Ant always gets hot when he plays the Nuggets. Um, I think it might have been the last time the Wolves won in Denver. You know, last season, he had a monster game. The 10 made he threes. had a big game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 10-made threes. He had a big game earlier this season or, you know, just a couple games ago mm -hmm. in Minnesota. That, that's the biggest thing that stands out to me in this matchup. The Nuggets can't guard him. Mm -hmm. um, they beefed up their defensive personnel this season. And um, I mean, the the defense, you know, just throughout the entire Nuggets team has been trending up as of late. But um, he's a really tough matchup uh, for the Nuggets. You know, he's he's a little small for Aaron Gordon to guard, but, you know, he's bigger than the guys KCP and Bruce Brown usually check. So I think he's just tough in that regard. Yeah, I, I was I was just kind of looking back at those four games and Ant has taken 
68 shots in those four games mm-hmm. against the Nuggets, and 38 of them have been threes, which, I, again, one of those games is 10 of 14 from three, so that maybe explains a lot of it. But that's like 60% of his shots uh, coming from three. That's not, it's normally the opposite, you know. And he's yeah. even recently been getting the basket um, more and more against this team. I, I guess just when I look at that, I don't know what it, it you can't say four straight wins trending back to last season to be a Rudy Gobert issue. He wasn't on the team. Cat didn't play uh, this season against them. I, I do think it's Ant, and I think that's a good point that you you bring up with um, with like the size of Denver's perimeter defenders. Like mm-hmm. Gordon kind of does what Jaden McDaniel's does for the Wolves, and that he will guard the kind of best, or he can guard the best, like perimeter attacker, but. It's a it's a weird sort of setup, particularly if the Wolves are going double big. Like if you put Gordon on on Ant, then you know who's going to be guarding the you know Rudy and if it's Cap or Rudy and if it's Kyle Anderson, whatever it might be. So there is a weird sort of gap there. I think I I do also. Yeah. I don't think that it is something where the Wolves particularly have Denver's number, though. I guess we will. We will see here in in this matchup again, and I, I find it curious because this could be, you know, a playoff matchup. The Wolves are at the seven right now. Uh, Denver's at one. I think the Wolves are kind of maybe trending in the right direction for the first time in a while. I don't know if that will mm-hmm. be it, but for you, I'm just I'm curious. Assume the Nuggets get the one seed. Like, are there teams? Well, whatever. If the Nuggets are going to finish at the top of the conference. Are there teams? that the Nuggets particularly don't want to get a first-round matchup against and are the Wolves in that mix? I really think the only team that the Nuggets are going to enter the playoffs being really worried about it at all is going to be the Warriors. Hmm. I I just really feel like they're going to be pretty confident against any other team. Now, I mean, if you're looking at the teams in the play-in right now, and you're like, would the Nuggets rather play Minnesota or Portland? I definitely say they'd rather play Portland. Mm-hmm. Would they rather play like Minnesota or Utah? Definitely Utah. Um, so I-, I think Minnesota for them is definitely a-, a tougher matchup than a couple of the options. But um, I don't think you know they're really scared of anybody or, or just kind of going to be they thinking be. too hard about anybody other than the Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're. I- my eye test of the of the rest of the conference. I mean, I know Memphis is up there too, but like the Nuggets look like the best team in the West. And actually, I think you tweeted this out, right? Like they Vegas has the, or DraftKings has them as the most likely yeah. team to win the the Western Conference at this point. I, I find it I find it interesting. I read your article about the Nuggets transition offense, um, mm-hmm. and they are they are number one in the league. They're also a pretty good offensive rebounding team. And that's what the Wolves suck at. Like, they are the worst defensive transition team in the NBA, and they are one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the NBA. Though, that has not shown up. That didn't show up when those two teams played uh, a few weeks back. And I wonder if that had to do with how they guarded the Nuggets. Remember in that game, the Wolves did not put Gobert on Jokic. They put Gobert right. on Aaron Gordon, and then they put Kyle Anderson on Jokic. They they kind of been trying to get to that uh, a little bit more. They did that against Portland a couple games ago. 
They started doing that against Cleveland. Do other teams do that to Jokic and Gordon at all in the front court, or was that more of like a kind of caught them by surprise that game thing? I don't think it caught them by surprise necessarily because when Rudy Gobert was on the Jazz, that's what the Jazz would always do. He did that they to would, yeah. Yeah, they would have Derek Favors yeah. or whoever were the power forwards there be the primary matchup. And, you know, that guy would get cooked and then they'd eventually put Rudy Gobert on him or they'd have Rudy Gobert, you know, be the help side guy um, for most of the game. So um, I I don't think, you know, they got fooled by that or or they weren't expecting it or anything. Um, I think it was just kind of one of those games. Yeah, you, you look at the box score and Aaron Gordon shoots four for 18 in that game and you go, oh, that worked. Like, do it again. But Aaron Gordon yeah. also had 12 offensive rebounds in that game, which, again, major problem for the Wolves this year. And and I think we can all just kind of picture it. It's like Rudy's shading over to help Anderson on Jokic. And then, you know, Gordon is just kind of flying to the rim and getting those offensive rebounds. He was like, it was one of those where, like, get the offensive rebound, shoot it, miss it, get it again, shoot it, miss it. Yep. So it kind of, like, drove it down. But um, I think... There's no stopping or even really slowing Jokic. Like, I think it's kind of going to be you put Gobert or you put Anderson on him. It's like Jokic is going to Jokic. But I do think it might be a good move against Gordon. And I he just looked really like awkward and tentative in that situation where they were literally daring him to shoot threes. And mm-hmm. um, I've been talking a lot. I've been kind of fused these things together. I've been talking a lot about how I think Aaron Gordon and Ant are kind of like battling for maybe the same all-star spot on like maybe. The, the, yeah. the end of it there. And I guess, can, can you help by, because my, my listeners probably have maybe only watched that one Aaron Gordon game and it did not look good. Can you help uh, describe to them what Aaron Gordon has looked like this season and maybe make his, his all-star case there? Yeah, so Aaron Gordon has been the Nuggets' second-best player all year. You know, Jamal Murray's come on as of late, but from game one through game 42-43, Aaron Gordon's been their second-best player. At the end of the Warriors series last year when they lost in five games in Golden State, Aaron Gordon's like closing post-game comment was, like, this summer I'm going to become a higher IQ player so I can better compliment Nicole Jokic. <laughs> and like that's exactly what he did. He just studied the film and kind of learned exactly how to play off Nikola Jokic and how to maximize himself. And he came back and he's shooting 60% from the field this season. (laughs) He never shot higher than 52% before. A career high from three. He's just playing smarter basketball. And it didn't show up in that Wolves game. Like (laughs) everything I'm saying did not show up in that Wolves game because he shot four of 18. And from time to time, he can slip back into that Orlando magic mode where he's kind of taken those low efficiency shots, not really playing smart basketball, just trying to go one-on-one. That's the bad Aaron Gordon. And those games have been so few and far between this season. Um, He's been just like the perfect role player, the perfect compliment to Jokic. Uh, He's been good defensively too. And um, he's just been a great fit in Denver. I mean, I feel like maybe more than anybody in the league, Aaron Gordon has just totally changed what the narrative around him is as a player these last couple of years. 
have you have you done like the all star activity yet? Like pen and paper, like tried to tried to pick twelve from the West. No, but I know he's going to be one of the last guys in there. So if he does get in, yeah, it's it, yeah. it's interesting. I, I like it's close, and and I I mean just I'll just read this off quick. Like I think the starters are going to be Jokic, Zion, Braun, Luca, Steph, and then like the next five like kind of locks I see to be Ja, Dame, SGA. Markinen Sabonis. So that's 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm ruling out like Booker and CP and Anthony Davis because yep. of injury there. Um, so then I'm kind of looking at it at like, there's two more spots from there, right? Ant, Aaron Gordon, Jeremy Grant, and De'Aaron Fox. I think that's what it's going to come down to is two of those four, um, you know, for those, for those final two spots. Unless, I don't know what to do with the Memphis guys. Like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain, I think like they might quote unquote deserve it more, but mm-hmm. they've played like, I don't know, like they have not played the full season, played it's like 700 some minutes. So of those four, like I think, I, I don't know, it's, it's, if we remove our bias of, of watching the team that we watch all the time, and like obviously you're going to understand what Aaron Gordon has, has brought this season for this team more than I am or more than other people are, I'm going to see the same with Ant. I don't have that perspective as well on De'Aaron Fox or Jeremy Grant. I'm sure if we brought a Blazers or Kings guy on, they'd be like, well, you know, the the Blazers would be terrible if they didn't have Jeremy Grant this season or the or the Kings yeah. would be below 500 without De'Aaron Fox. But but those are kind of the four I'm I'm looking at. How would you assess those four if you had to pick two? Yeah, I, I think Ant and Gordon are probably a tier above okay. those other two. In, in my opinion, um, I mean, from from Gordon's perspective, I just look at it as if the Nuggets are the number one team in the West. Yeah. And, you know, Jamal Murray missed time this year. Michael Porter Jr. missed time. He missed like 13 games. Right. Um, like bench has been terrible for most of the season. And it's gotten its act together as of late. Gordon just been such a stabilizer. He's He's been so solid night in, night out. It's been exactly what they've needed, and um, it it wouldn't feel right. I feel like if uh, the number one team did not have at least you know two guys on it, two guys on the All Star team. That, that's where I'm at too. Like I I might have Gordon or I might have Gordon at the top of the list of of those four. I've been had the chance to watch the Nuggets a little bit more recently, and it does look nothing like that 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 Wolves game looked like at all. I mean, he had he has been great, and and I do like I don't know. I don't know the last time a number one seed did only get one guy. I'm sure that's probably happened. But when we're when you're comparing Aaron Gordon against like Jeremy Grant, that's not I don't know. That's not like a player with Paul George pedigree or or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and I think the coaches will will probably look at that. Though with Ant Man, like <laughs> since Cat went down, like Ant, I don't know what more you could ask from him like this team he's kind of been well, it's his with- team now right Dan? it's his <laughs> team <laughs> uh, your boy austin rivers is like every time we ask him about it, he's like well he's like bro that's our best player <laughs> you know and yeah, I'm like, I, I like how the minnesota media has figured out austin rivers is a great quote i mean it, <laughs> you guys told it, me it's summer league <laughs> yeah it's an experience we went through as well we, we know what it's like <laughs> he's actually been helpful though man like He's great. He he is awesome. He's really good. I I definitely uh, underrated 
the defensive stuff from him. I mean, he's not mm. like locked down, but this team is so limited in terms of perimeter defenders, which obviously Denver's had that issue for a long time, thus bringing in Austin Rivers. But he's been really, really helpful for that. Totally changed his shot this summer, which is kind of weird because he shot pretty well actually last year in Denver. But yeah, his, his real crowning achievement is uh, top quote guy on, on the Wolves, <laughs> at least from a from a media perspective. He's uh, he's 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 been great. He for gets that. it. Yeah, he <laughs> definitely gets it. Um. All right. Well. Uh. So uh, again. No Nuggets game on. They don't play on MLK Day today. Uh, they got they got the Blazers tomorrow, and then the Wolves uh, on on Wednesday night. We'll see if the Wolves can kind of keep this trend going against uh, against the best team in the Western Conference that they've kind of had their number. I do think Ant is is sort of the through line there. But Harrison, I appreciate you doing this. I'll I'll see you. I think I'm gonna come to the game on Tuesday night because uh, I'm I'm getting into town. So. Uh, I'll nice. come. I'll come say hi to you then. Appreciate you doing this. Sweet man, no problem. See you then. All right, he's uh, Harrison Wind. You can follow him on Twitter. It's just at Harrison Wind, right? Correct. There we go. Not complicated. Not complicated. Follow. Uh, <laughs> follow everything he's writing over at DNVR Sports if you want to get um, a you know a little update on on where the Nuggets are recently, uh, or they are a content factory shooting out daily. Uh, podcasts on youtube and everywhere they are dnvr sports is where uh i think it's where sports media is going so uh love talking with you harrison adam all the guys over there and i will i'll see you in a couple days all right uh until then he is he's harrison i'm dane peace out Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.